How are you out there? Get your Bibles out. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for this time of worship. Worship prepares us for the word. So Holy Spirit, now that our hearts are open and we're sensitive to what's going on in the spiritual realm, give us truth this morning and allow us to perceive it and to embrace it. Get it through our minds and into our hearts that it can affect the way we live. We ask that we would be not only hearers of the word, but doers in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. amen. Well, last week we talked about the rapture of the church. And if you weren't here for that, I encourage you to listen online and get that message in you. But we talked about some of the theological uh, ideas of when the catching away of the church would take place. We talked about pre-trib and uh, pre-wrath and mid-trib, post-trib and Pan-trib is that it's all going to pan out, so just love Jesus and be ready for his coming. Amen. We need to be ready for his coming. We need to live ready for his coming. Amen. Uh, it's, there's always in the body of Christ those that are on the borderline, half in the world and half in the church. And carnal Christians put themselves in a, a serious predicament in the fact that the Bible's pretty clear that not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is going to be caught away in the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. In fact, as we look at the parable of the, the ten virgins, uh, you know, five were wise and five were foolish. Fifty percent of them didn't make the cut, and they left, the bridegroom came and uh, left them behind. And so that's an interesting thing to think of. You say, Pastor, are you saying that in, you know, carnal Christians or people that aren't 100% sold out are going to, you know, be rejected by Jesus? And I'm saying, I don't want to live that way because I don't want to take a chance. And neither should you. Hello? Oh, I know God's grace is big, amen. But thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Because the Bible's pretty clear about certain habitual sins and lifestyles, the sins that we cannot expect to inherit the kingdom of God if we're in those things. Come on, second service. So the bride will be snatched away. We talked about that Greek word harpazo. It means to snatch away uh, by force to remove someone from harm's way. And that's what Jesus is going to do. Remove those who are faithful to him, committed to him, out of harm's way. What harm? The wrath of God that will be poured out in the tribulation. The scripture's clear. Not everyone who says, hey, I'm a Christian. You know, there's lots of people who say they're Christians. I think in our country, maybe 75, 85% of our country say they're Christians. <laughs> but it's in name only. Because a Christian has a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not just a relationship with a church or a denomination or some ceremonies or some rituals. Hello? but a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not everyone who cries, Lord, Lord, Jesus said, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's some, uh, we look at the parable of the 10 virgins and we see that 50% of them were not ready or fit to meet Jesus. Is that sobering to you? That's half. 50% not ready or fit to meet Jesus. When the bridegroom came, he took the five that were ready and the, the other five were left behind. They were all virgins, so they were all good and moral and they were all inclined to look for the bridegroom. They all were waiting for him. They all wanted to go. There wasn't five of them there saying, ah, I'm not really into this guy, I don't wanna go. They were, they were there. They were virgins, they were ready to go. All of them fell asleep. Come on, you know the parable. They all fell asleep. 
That spiritual slumber can get on the best of us. The only defining difference between the ones who went and the ones who stayed was that some had oil in their lamps and some didn't. Wow. Sobering this morning. Some had oil, some different. What's oil about? Always in scripture, oil represents the Holy Spirit. The oil in our lives, the oil in our lamps is the Holy Spirit. Listen, God is trying to remind us through this parable that those who are fit to go with the bridegroom are those who have oil, those who have a spirit-filled life, those who walk in the spirit. Think of the epistles, stressing a spirit-filled life, stressing walking in the spirit, stressing the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Those are the ones with the oil that are prepared and that are ready to go with the bridegroom. So... uh, God is reminding us that we we can't just be Christians in name only. We can't just be Christians because we're part of this denomination. We can't just be Christians because we believe in, you know, the rapture and eschatology. No, we can't be Christians in name only. We have to be spirit-filled Christians walking in the spirit with oil in our lamps. Come on. Now, look, if you're going to be dead all morning, I'm just going to preach louder and harder. And then I'll start throwing things. But we have got to understand God wants the church not to be asleep, but to wake up and to have oil in their lamps. Now, Jesus spoke to his seven churches in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. He told six out of seven, uh, he, he told a lot of them, repent or else. I have this against you. I have this against you. I have this against you. Repent or I'll come quickly and remove your candlestick. Whoa. So much for that, you know, once saved, always saved stuff. Jesus talks about in one of the rewards, you know, overcome, and I won't blot your name out of the Lamb's book of life. This should put the fear of God into all of us. regardless of the denominational, you know, things that we've heard and the doctrines that we've heard. When Jesus says, you know, that we've got to live ready, we've got to live right, he warns the churches, he's repent, I have this against you. He says to Thyatira specifically, I've given you time to repent, but you wouldn't repent, so you're going through all seven years of the tribulation. He says to Philadelphia, you've been faithful to me, you've kept the the, the word, you've kept the truth, you've reached out and you've preached the gospel, so I'll keep you from the time to come. Let's see exactly what Jesus says to to the two extremes here. To to Thyatira in Revelation 20, uh, Revelation 2, 20, he says this, but I have this against you. When Jesus says he's got something that he needs to deal with here, it's time to wake up. He says that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of our immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds and I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one according to his deeds. Wow. Jesus speaking here, not Jesus the lamb. You know, Jesus has a lamb nature, but he also has a lion nature. This is the lion speaking here. The lamb came to die a a, a death to, to give us salvation as a free gift, but the lion is returning for a church without spot or wrinkle. 
And he says here, you've been unfaithful to me. You've committed adultery against me. How had Thyatira been unfaithful? How had she been immoral? She was adulterous in the sense that she departed from the truth of the gospel. She mixed it with Babylonian paganism. She embraced symbolism over substance and she had victory over the laity and she, she suppressed God and separated God from the people and God was angry. And he said, repent and return to the true gospel. I gave her time to repent and she would not repent. So you're going through. On the other side of the coin, here's Philadelphia, another church. Remember, not every Christian who says they're a Christian, not everyone who cries, Lord, Lord, is gonna be ready or fit for the catching away of the church. He says this to Philadelphia, because you have kept my word and my perseverance, you've been steadfast. I also will keep you from the hour of testing, the hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. So to one church, he says, you wouldn't repent. You're going through. The other one says, I will keep you from the hour of of testing. He says, you know, this church had done what I asked it to do. How did they do that? They stayed true to the gospel. They preached the word. They didn't water it down. They didn't mix in man's opinion. Come on. They weren't politically correct. They were biblically correct. Hello this morning. So he says, I'll keep you. You, Listen, it's not time to be a carnal Christian. It's not time to be half in the world and half out of the world. Listen to me, young people. It's not time to be carousing and getting drunk and getting high and chasing, uh, you know, playing house with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Hello. Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. Not everyone who cries, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Not every one of the 10 virgins was fit or ready to go with the bridegroom. Now let's look at the church here as Jesus basically speaks to them as separate individual entities. Uh, The people of God had come out of the Mosaic law covenant. Those were the Jewish people. They were the people of God, still are the apple of God's eye. God still has a destiny for Israel, but yet we move into a grace covenant now that Jesus purchased with his own blood at Calvary's cross. So the church uh, is born here on the other side of the cross, but the church doesn't become the church until the upper room on the day of Pentecost. What happens in the upper room on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit falls upon them like tongues of fire on their head. They begin to speak with other tongues, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on, that is the moment where the church was born. And from that moment to this moment, we are living in what is called the church age. God does everything through his church. Yeah, there's no perfect church. Yes, churches all have issues. You look at the way Jesus spoke to the churches in the book of Revelation. If you find a perfect church, please don't join it. You will ruin it. Because churches are made of imperfect people. (laughs) I said in first service, he often chooses the most imperfect one to be the pastor. So here I am. And... You know, the church isn't perfect, but we can remain faithful to the gospel or we can, be, we can be unfaithful to it. And that's what gives us this ability to have oil in our lamps that we are staying faithful. So Jesus, he's speaking to his churches here. Now understand every church that is in the church age, as he mentions them in the book of Revelation, 
that they are a period of church history when he talks to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. Every one of those churches represents a time in church history and it's chronological the way it goes through. All of those systems also represent a theological understanding and a system of worship that is still in the earth today. So do we have Ephesian type churches today? Absolutely. Do we have Philadelphia style churches today? Absolutely. Do we have Thyatira-style churches today? Absolutely. If you study the text, you'll be able to identify who those are. Now, the last church that Jesus speaks to is the Laodicean church. They were the lukewarm church, and he had some tough things to say to them. It doesn't take a theological scholar who understands Greek and Hebrew to look around at the church now and say, we are in the Laodicean period where the church is lukewarm, it wants teachers to tickle their ears, it doesn't want to hear, repent, but it wants to be entertained. Come on this morning. And that's all around us. So Jesus spoke to the seven churches, and the reason I'm belaboring this is because I want you to understand each of these churches has a different destiny as how Jesus speaks to them. Now, uh, that in understanding that it's the overcomer that receives the ward. Now, what he says to the churches defines them, how he speaks to them. Uh, uh, Ephesus was the church of the early church fathers, and they had lost their first love. They had preached the gospel, yet, you know, somehow, some way, they had been uh, seduced by other things, and they had lost their first love. They weren't in love with Jesus like they were supposed to be, so they were the loveless church. Smyrna was the persecuted church, the church that the Romans Romans used as human torches to light their coliseums. They, they fed them to the lions. They fed them to wild animals. They sawed them in half for sport. Smyrna was the persecuted church. Pergamos was the licentious church. It was the church that was immoral sexually and was unrestrained morally. And we, we see that in the time of church history. Thyatira was the adulterous church where they took Babylonian paganism and mixed it with Christianity and made a hybrid that became unholy and offended God, symbolism over substance, ceremony and ritual over real relationship. Sardis comes out of Thyatira, embraces some reforms, yet keeps some of the model of, uh, of Thyatira, keeps some of the, the things that should have been tossed out. They embraced once again salvation through faith, but yet they became dead, and Jesus calls them the dead church. He says, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. If you walk into some of these mainline denominational, uh, you know, Protestant churches right now, they are dead. There's no move of the Holy Spirit. There's no salvation. There's no call for repentance. There's no sinners saved by grace. There's no people coming. Come on this morning. You can walk into these churches. Oh, Pastor Rick, I don't like this. Well, learn to like the truth because Jesus didn't hold back a thing. And what he said, he said to Sardis, you're dead, repent. Philadelphia was the favored church. They embraced evangelism. They embraced missions. They held true to the gospel. They didn't add works to it. It was salva salvation by faith through the grace of God, through the finished work of the cross. Every church that preaches the gospel, that preaches repentance from sin, every church that reaches out and evangelizes and has a heart for missions is a Philadelphia-style church. And then the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church. Jesus said, you're neither hot nor cold. 
And Jesus can work with hot. If you're hot, I can keep you hot. If you're cold, I can warm you up. But with lukewarm, I can't work with that at all. When you're lukewarm, I can't do anything with you except spew you out of my mouth. Ouch. The scripture comes alive. We see the fact that each of these churches represent a period in church history, and they are still in effect in the earth today as systems of worship. The church was promised specific rewards if they would what? If they would overcome. Notice Jesus didn't promise rewards if you built the biggest denomination, if you had the nicest cathedrals, if you had the biggest stained glass windows and the most comfortable seats and the best air condition in the neighborhood. Come on, smile, it's good for your face. Jesus said, if you overcome, there's a reward. And he spoke of a reward for each one of the church, the reward of the overcomers. You and I are supposed to be overcomers as Christians. We're not just supposed to mumble some prayer and say that we're saved and then struggle with the same sin and live in the same bondage and never get free and never grow and never produce. Listen, living things reproduce, amen? The church needs to reproduce. The church needs to see souls saved, amen? (laughs) Something that doesn't reproduce is not living, it's dead, So the rewards of the overcomers are these. To Ephesus, he said, to him that overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God, Revelation 2.7. To Smyrna, the persecuted church, he says, to him who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death, Revelation 2.11. You say, what's the second death? Well, everyone that's born is gonna taste death, amen? We're born, and we die. There's only two people that didn't taste death. And remember Enoch and Elisha, and we're going to see them in Revelation 11 again. But every one of us is going to taste death unless the Lord comes to catch us up. Uh, You believe that? You're looking at me like I'm lying to you. Okay, so the second death is when people die and then they go before the great white throne judgment and they're found to be outside of having a relationship with Christ and they're cast into the lake of fire. How many don't want to partake in the second death? Not me. I don't like the lake of fire. Too hot for me. Worse than Florida. To he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Pergamos, Revelation 2.17, to him that overcomes, I will give to eat the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a stone with a new name written, which no man knows, saving he that receives it. So there's intimacy with Christ for Pergamos. Thyatira, the church that had issues with Jezebel, there is even a reward for them if they would overcome that system. Revelation 2.26, and he that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Uh, Revelation 3, 5, to Sardis, to him who overcomes shall be clothed in white remen, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. To Philadelphia, he said in Revelation 3, 12, to him that overcomes will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. To Laodicea, the lukewarm church in Revelation 3.21, he said, to him that overcomes, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father 
in his throne. So there is a reward for every church system if we will be overcomers. And what I want you to grab this morning today is you and I are supposed to be overcomers. We're not supposed to be ceremonial, ritualistic, lukewarm, religious, but we're to be overcomers who are growing in our faith, who are alive and reproducing in Christ. So you might want to ask the question, who are those that will overcome? In fact, ask me. I'm so glad you asked. First John is very clear. Verse, chap- verse John chapter five, listen to verses four and five. First John five, four and five. For everyone, say everyone. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcame the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Could that be any more clearer today? Here's who overcomes. Three things out of 1 John 5, 4 and 5. Overcomers are those who are born again. Anybody born again today? For everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you be born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be born again? It's not just some word that a bunch of goofy, you know, fundamentalist Christians came up with. It's out of the mouth of Jesus. Being born again means that we've come to a place in our lives after our natural birth where we say yes to God and surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ so that we come alive from the dead and we are in Christ, amen? Being born again means we recognize Jesus personally as our Savior and our Lord and we surrender our lives to him. Unless you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Who overcomes the world? Those who are born of God. Those who are born again. You have to have a genuine relationship with Jesus to be an overcomer. You can't be a secondhand Christian. Well, you know, my parents are Christian and they drag me to church. And so I'm, you know, it's like secondhand smoke. I'm a secondhand Christian doesn't work that way. Well, I, I, I'm in a good church denomination, and I have a big family Bible, and you know, I, I dress the right way, and I come to church once in a while. I'm a Christian. No, being in church with a Bible in your hand doesn't make you a Christian any more than sleeping in a garage tonight would make you a car in the morning. Hello. You must be born again. You must have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's so simple, yet so many people miss it. Who overcomes? Those who are born again. John continues, for everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Those who overcome the world do it by faith. You don't overcome the world by works. Salvation is a free gift of God received by faith, not by works. I've taught time and time again, and you can check me if I'm wrong. Fact check me. Every world religious system other than Christianity is a works-based system. If you study the system, you gotta do this, you gotta do that, you gotta be baptized this, you gotta jump through this hoop, you gotta be a good person, you, you know, you gotta do more good things than bad things, and then God grades on a curve, you'll be saved. Every system, that's what's at the core of it except Christianity. Christianity is the only one who says, come as a sinner, receive the free gift of grace, and be born again. Come to Jesus and have what he did in your place on the cross, cover your sins, and make you right with God. Wow. It's faith today. It's our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not works. It's never works. Works does not work. 
You can do all, oh, I do a lot of good things and I give and, you know, and, and the Bible says, you know, it, it's not works. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. How much flesh? No flesh. Let's try that again. How much flesh? No. You, you, you're good at saying no, right? Christians got to learn to say no. Say no to works. Say no to try and earn your salvation. Say no to the world and say yes to Jesus. It's our faith that will justify us. It's our faith that will save us. We must be born again. We must walk in faith. And the the third thing that marks an overcomer, according to 1 John 5, 4 and 5, is this. Overcomers believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Look what it says. Even our faith, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. This business of all roads lead to God is not biblically accurate. Jesus didn't say there are many ways. He said, I'm the only way. He didn't say there's a wide road. He said, there's a narrow road. There's only one way to come to the Father. Why? Because only one person ever died for your sins. No other figure in history claimed to be God, claimed to be the Messiah, got on a cross and and said, I'm dying in your place. No one else did that, only Jesus. And so believing that Jesus is the son of God is the qualifier. Listen, if you don't believe that Jesus is the son of God, you're not gonna overcome this world. Well, you know, I don't believe in Jesus, but I believe in God. You know, I'm, I'm into God, I'm connected right to God, really? No, the Bible says you're a liar. If you don't have the son, you don't have the father either. You you and I don't get to God without Jesus. There's only one way. Well, you know, I'm not into organized religion, but I'm very spiritual. So, you know, I have a spiritual connection with, uh, oh, really? If there was a way to connect to God without Jesus, Jesus is a fool for dying on the cross. There's only one way to the father. Jesus Christ. Now, I know you've heard this before, and I know you believe this, but we need to hear it again because it's in the context of who will be an overcomer, and overcomers believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Overcomers rely on their faith, not on their works. Overcomers are born again. They're not spiritual. They're not religious. They're not intellectual. They are people saved by faith through Jesus Christ. So that's who overcomes the world, and I'm glad you asked that question this morning. But there's another question we need to answer is this. What do believers need to overcome? So great, pastor, I need to overcome. I'm ready to overcome. Let's get to overcoming. What do I need to overcome? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Every believer, everyone who's born of God, every spirit-filled, blood-bought Christian whose name's written down in the Lamb's book of life will overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. Let's talk about it today. You wanna be an overcomer. You wanna be a, a, a virgin with oil in your lamp. You wanna be fit and ready for the bridegroom when he comes. You have to overcome the world. And it says, you know, the world has its own system. Did you ever notice that? and it's diametrically opposed to the systems of God. The kingdom of this world clashes with the kingdom of God. The world has its own appetites, its own philosophies, and even its own theology. This world worships idols, and it demands that you and I worship idols with them. And if we don't worship the idols that this world worships, then we're out of step with the world, and the world will attack us and ostracize us and try and kill us. Any Christians out there? Anybody believe what I'm saying? Yeah, well, then make a noise. 
That's how I know. This world system is diametrically opposed to the system of the kingdom of God. And we have to overcome the world. It wants us to worship idols with them. And when we won't worship idols with them, it will reject us and it will oppose us. This world is opposed to God. It's incompatible with holiness. It rejects Jesus Christ. It's at odds with true Christianity. It's vain, it's shallow, it's immoral, and it's lost. And you and I have no part in it. So overcoming starts with overcoming the world. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 is a powerful uh, portion of scripture. I wanna just read it to you. 1 John chapter two, if you're taking notes, verses 15 through 17, listen to what John says. This could not be any clearer. Do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God will live forever. Could that be any clearer? Don't love the world. How do you overcome the world? The only way is to not fall in love with it. (laughs) Amen. And it's hard not to love the world because there are a lot of things in the world that are seductive and they're alluring. Come on, let's just be honest this morning, right? In fact, there's things about creation that I love and I hope you love too. I mean, if you look at creation, you know, and this is, you know, people think, well, not loving the world. Well, I just got to walk around with a bad attitude just saying I hate being here right now. No, there's things about creation that I love. I love the mountains. I love the trees. I love the streams. Come on. Come on, anybody love the ocean? Come on. You know, I, know, I don't know what the deal is now. Do we have to have like a, a hazmat suit on and be 40 feet away from each other to go on the beach? But I mean, just sitting on the beach and hear, I mean, to hear the waves and the wind and the, the sea, uh, the, just the crashing, so soothing. I mean, you don't even care that the seagull steals your sandwich. You don't care. Because the ocean, I mean, creation is so awesome. If you've ever stood in a stream, you know, maybe, you know, with a fly rod in your hand, I don't know, just, just the, the, the fish and the, the, it's so amazing. I'll sit in trees for hours in the fall, not just to get away from my wife, but just, or to fill the freezer, but because of the beauty, right? She's happy to go, go sit in the tree. But you see the leaves and I mean, it's just, creation is beautiful. Creation is amazing. Now, I'm a builder, I'm a fixer, I, I enjoy construction. I'll, I'll go into a city and look at construction and skyscrapers and I'll say, that's pretty cool what man has built. But you know what? It's nothing compared to what God has built. Give me what God has made any day. So we enjoy creation, but we don't love the world and we don't fall in love with the world. Why? Because this world is passing away. John said the world and the lust of it is passing away. It's going down. It's unraveling. It's coming apart. In some ways, the environmentalists are right, but it's not your, it's not your, you know, your big gas guzzling truck or SUV that's killing the planet. It's man's sin. This planet will not fall apart until God judges it in the book of Revelation, chapter 6 through 18. Come on, it's going to hold together until God judges it. Amen. Oh, everybody has to drive the Prius, so we're gonna, the planet's going to... Give me a break. Give me a break. Your little Prius is not going to destroy what God made. 
Ah, oh, Jesus, help me. In 1 Peter 2.11, Peter gives us insight in how to deal with the flesh. He says, behold, I urge you as aliens and strangers. This is how you're supposed to. Now, some of you, uh, the strange part's an easy sell. That was funny. <laughs> behold, I urge you as aliens and strangers. So we're to see ourselves as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war on the soul. So the way you and I should see ourselves in the world, in what God created, is that we're aliens. What does that mean? We're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We are really citizens of heaven. If you and I are Christians, if we're born again, if we have the spirit of God in us, we're just passing through this place. The Bible calls us sojourners. Some of us have invested too much in a place that we're just passing through. It's as if we rented a car and put new tires and rims on it. What are you, crazy? It's a rental. You beat it like a rented mule and you turn it in. We're just passing through here. But we're, if we're trying to build kingdoms here, then we've fallen in love with the world. We should look at ourselves as aliens and as strangers. So how we see ourselves is important if we're going to be overcomers. And here's, I'll show you why. Because if we see this world as all we've got, then we've got to live now. We've got to accomplish what we want to do now. We've got to have fun now. And we've got to do everything we want to do now, like this bucket list that people talk about. Because thereafter, if we miss it here, it's done. Think about how, you know, our world worships the idol of youth and, you know, youthfulness and everybody wants to be young and, you know, and you got to do it now and you got to live now. And, and, and really, as for a Christian, that's the wrong way to think. Why? Because if we think that way, that this is our reward and, and that our reward isn't up there, then we're going to embrace instant gratification. We've got to be happy now. We've got to do what we want now. We're never going to embrace the delayed gratification that it takes to be holy and to not not to partake of the things of this world if we think this is it. Please hear what I'm saying today. If you're a believer, this is not it. You and I are just passing through here. Someday when we get to heaven, those rewards, that, that's our reward. That's eternity. That's forever. This is a wisp of smoke. It's here today and it's gone. Young people, don't let the world lie to you. Oh, you got to do this and you got to do that. And don't restrain yourself and have as much pleasure as you can and experiment sexually and do whatever feels good. It's a lie. It's a lie to ruin and snare your soul. Peter says, abstain from the flesh. Oh, there's a word that our generation loves, abstain. The Laodicean church doesn't want to abstain from everything. We'll just bring it in and call it Christian, call it a different lifestyle, call it, you know, a modern. We'll, we'll, we'll just embrace it. Even if God says it's an abomination, even if God says it's wrong, we'll, we'll just incorporate it. But yet the word calls us to abstain from fleshly lust. Why? Because they wage war against the soul. Don't you understand your adversary, the devil, is not, he's playing with real bullets, He's, this, he's not just cry, trying to aggravate you. He wants to destroy your soul, destroy your faith. He wants to drag you down to hell with him where he's headed. And he uses the flesh and the lies and the temptations of loving this world to snare many people's souls. But you and I who were born again, who walk by faith, who believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you and I will overcome the world. You and I will overcome the flesh. We're aliens and strangers. 
The word calls for abstinence. Don't live to make yourself happy now. Some people are gonna be happy now and miserable for eternity. Don't be foolish. What good does it do to gain the whole world and to lose your soul? What does it do to embrace the momentary, fleeting, empty, carnal pleasures of this world and lose your soul for eternity? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Let's talk about the devil now. The devil is someone else we have to overcome. You say, my goodness, as if the world wasn't hard enough and the flesh hard enough, now we gotta contend with the devil. The good news is that Jesus overcame him. And here, let's talk about the devil. I never capitalized his name. I got little D's here. The little D, devil, is a fallen angel. He is defeated, and his destiny is that he will spend eternity in the lake of fire. All right, let me try that again, because you should be happier about that. Your adversary, the one who goes about accusing the brethren, the one who tries to snare your soul, the one who tries to seduce you and tantalize you and snare you, that one, he's defeated. Jesus defeated him, amen? His destiny is for God to cast him into the lake of fire for eternity. He is a defeated foe that we fight. Greater is he who's in you than he who is in the world, amen? So in a sense, yes, the devil is a dead man walking. His judgment is secure and sure. But I want to tell you something. He's still dangerous, and he's not done yet. In fact, the only thing he can do now is seduce men to reject God and to reject Jesus so that he can have them drug into the same judgment that he's destined for. And here's how I want you to understand how the devil's kingdom operates in this world. There was a man that... Pastor Mike and I were friends with in Bible school, and he did children's camps. And one time at a children's camp, there was a, a really big copperhead that had come out and, and amidst the children. So one of the counselors took a machete and took that copperhead's head right off. Whap. So this man who was in the children's camp, he, he, was a, he knew reptiles. He had uh, kept snakes for a while. He took a, a, a board and he put the copperhead's head on the board and he set it on the chair in front of all the children. And he said, children, I want you to see how the devil is. And he took a stick and he poked the mouth of that headless copperhead and the mouth opened up and the fangs popped out and it tried to bite the stick. You say, what in the world? It, it, it was separated from its body. Yes, but it still had the, the muscle reflex and, and whatever was in there to only open its mouth and deliver a venomous bite. And he said to the children, a great life lesson, a, a living illustration. This is what the devil's like. He's defeated, yet he still can bite you with the sting of death if you give place to him and you play with him. So understand, yes, the devil's a fallen angel. He's a defeated foe, but he still has the sting of death if he can seduce men to reject God and to embrace the pleasures of this world. The devil would love to take every one of us with him into his eternal torment and separation from God. Do you know God never created hell to put people in it? Hell was created to house the fallen angels who rebelled against God. It was not created for people, yet the enemy of God realized the only way he could strike back at God is that he could hurt what he loves, and God loves people. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would be saved and not perish and have everlasting 
everlasting life. Yet the enemy said, oh yeah? Well, I'm gonna trick them. I'm gonna snare them. And he started in the garden and he started with Eve. And he said, did God say that? God's just trying to hold you back. God doesn't want you to be like him. You should eat. It'll open your eyes. You'll be free. You'll be like God. Wow. He lied and he seduced and he snared and he still does today. He's a defeatist. He's a defeated headless opponent, yet he still has the sting of death if man would play with him and listen to his words. He uses the intoxicating pleasures of this world to seduce us by the weakness of our flesh. Our flesh is weak. And if we play with fire, if we bring it into our bosom, the Bible says we'll be burned. Don't play with sin. Don't play with the devil. Don't listen to his philosophies. Be biblically correct and forget about being politically correct. Be correct in the sight of God. I'd rather be a fool in the eyes of man than a fool in the eyes of God. So what does the devil do? He tempts. He's a tempter. That's why God says, don't don't say that I tempt you. God tests us, but the devil tempts tempts us. He tempts us, and he, he, he tries to find weakness in, in us. He studies us to see where we're weak, and then he tempts us relentlessly to get us to reject God and to believe a lie and to reject Jesus Christ. But those of us who know the Lord and walk with him, we can't be called away from him, because where could we go once we found truth? How do we overcome the devil? In our own strength, we don't. Oh, you know, I'm just full of faith and, you know, I I know a few Bible passages. I'm going to go toe-to-toe with the devil. We used to say in Bible school, if you go toe-to-toe with the devil, the devil will show you who you ain't. Because, you know, he knows more scripture than us. He knows our weaknesses. He studied mankind from his inception for centuries. If you go against the devil in your own strength, you'll lose every time. In fact, before the cross of Jesus Christ, everyone lost every time. Even the righteous dead in the Old Testament didn't go to heaven. They went to Abraham's bosom. Why? Because the cross hadn't happened yet and the power of sin wasn't broken. And even though there were righteous dead, the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all these godly men of the Old Testament, David, they couldn't go into the presence of God until the cross. That's what it's all about when Jesus died. He descended and he liberated captivity. What was he doing? He was going to the righteous dead, preaching the gospel and taking them out of Abraham's bosom into the presence of God. Study the scripture. It's all logical. It makes sense. He tempts. He's a tempter. we, We don't overcome him in our own strength. We overcome him because of what Jesus did on the cross. And it works like this. According to James four, seven through eight. If you like formulas, here's a formula. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. A powerful statement, a simple statement. This is how we overcome the devil. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We've got to first submit to God. How do we do that? We submit to his plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. We get born again. And then what do we do? We're filled with the Holy Spirit. So greater is he who is in us than he is over the world. Then we resist the devil. How do we do that? We don't give ourselves over to sin. We fight against it. We abstain from it. We just say no to it. Come on. And when we do that, when we're in Christ and we resist sin and we abstain from it, our Father stands with us because we're in direct alignment with him. So when the enemy comes to face us, he looks right past us and sees God and he flees from our presence. Come on. The 
This is the way it works. Listen, if you're getting your butt kicked by the devil, you need to examine yourself. We're to be overcomers. We're more than conquerors. We shouldn't be saved for 50 years and struggling with the same sins and never have victory and going, we're going backwards, we're backsliding. Something's wrong. Submit yourself to God. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Repent. Do your first works again. Get right with him. Get in alignment with him. And then don't give yourself over to sin. Resist it. I guarantee the devil will start running from you instead of you running from him. Come on, church. According to Revelation 2.11, we overcome him this way. By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. How many have heard that? The blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Well, there's more to it. It says, and they, that they loved their lives not, and that they didn't love their lives even unto death. So there's the blood of the lamb. We're gonna talk about that. There's the word of our testimony, but then there's not loving our own lives, even unto death. Basically saying, even if, even if my faith costs my life, I'm not gonna back down. Come on, you can bring me to the gates of hell. You, you can bring me before all the, the leaders that demand I worship their idols. And like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm not going to bow down to the idol. I'm not going to bow to Baal. That's what it takes. Listen, if you don't have that resolved, if a time of testing comes, are you going to pass? Peter denied Christ three times. You say, oh no, I, I don't think I'm as good as Peter. He was a knucklehead, but I'm, I'm even worse. But remember, that was Peter before the Holy Ghost. That was Peter before the day of Pentecost. The Peter who was filled with the Holy Ghost was a bold witness for Jesus Christ who didn't deny the faith, who was martyred and crucified upside down because he said, I'm unworthy to die like Jesus did. Come on, that Peter, that Peter filled with the Holy Ghost who resisted and loved his life. All of the disciples, all of the apostles, they were martyred, they were persecuted, they died horrible of deaths, but they would not recant their faith in Jesus. Woo, do we have that kind of faith? When Jesus comes to the earth, will he find faith? So it's the blood of the lamb, amen? We get that. Pastor, you preach about all that blood of the lamb stuff. It's the blood of the lamb and you know it's covered in the blood and it's, it's being cleansed from sin. We get that. So it's by the blood of the lamb. We like that part. But then the word of our testimony is enjoined that we have to, what comes out of our mouth should line up with the scripture, amen? And what should be the word of our testimony? It should be Jesus, 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 Jesus. And if that doesn't work, try Jesus, Jesus. Come on, Jesus, amen. Jesus saved me. Jesus healed me. Jesus Jesus pulled me out of bondage. Jesus broke my chains, man. I wish there were some Christians in here this morning. You've been out of church too long. Come on. It's all about Jesus today. Let the world know. Let the world know. That's the word of our testimony. Well, let me just give my denominational. Let me just read the We Believe section in the bulletin here. That's my test. You better stay away from me. Our testimony is Jesus Christ. Our testimony is the gospel, not the watered-down gospel, not, not half the gospel, not the PC gospel, not symbolism over substance, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus died, Jesus rose. Believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. The blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony, and not loving our own lives. This is what Jesus, even to the point of that, this is what Jesus meant when he said, if you love your own life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Some of us love this world too much and we love our own lives too much. 
And you know what, I'm getting to the place in my life and seeing the wickedness and the lawlessness of man where I yearn more to be with Jesus and out of this body than I do to stay here in this mess called earth. And if you don't, you might wanna examine your heart because this world is passing away. God's coming back for overcomers. He's coming back for virgins with oil in their lamp. He's coming back for those who are walking in the spirit. He's coming back not for carnal Christians, but for sold out Christians who are looking for him. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I thank you for these people here. And I pray today, Lord God, that each of us would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit to wake up our souls. Father, if we've been in the world system and away from the kingdom of God so much that this type of preaching is irritating to us, grant us the gift of repentance that the callousness of our heart would be softened so that we can feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and repent. Father, every bit of worldliness, every bit of a love of the world that's in us, every bit of carnality, Father, we confess it to you today and we ask that you remove it from our lives to the point that we would do radical things like cancel our cable subscriptions and turn off our phones and shut down our computers and stop with the, the influx of all the pollutants of this world and just stay in your presence until you cleanse and restore us. God, help us to pray like never before. Help us to seek your face like never before, to watch for your coming, to have oil in our lamps and to be ready, to be overcomers, to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil, to be that glorious bride without spot or wrinkle in Jesus' name. Now, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I gave this same invitation to first service and many responded and I wanna encourage you today. If you need to commit yourself to Jesus Christ, I, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe you've never bowed the knee to him. You've never received him as savior and Lord. You've tried to live a good life, but you always come up short. The Bible says we're all sinners and we need a savior and Jesus died in our place. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we would be saved. It's not by works. It's not by being a good person. It's by confessing I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Jesus, save me. God made it so simple. Maybe you're here today and you need to do that. I'm gonna give you that opportunity. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you know, you've just been living a lukewarm life or you've been backsliding or you've heard the word before and you just went out and you're enjoying you know, the pleasures of this world for a season, but it's hollow and it's empty and it's not fulfilling and you wanna come back. I wanna give you an opportunity today to draw a line on your past and to repent and come back and be in right relationship with God. Now's not the time to be half in the world and half out. Now's not the time to be in drunkenness and drug using and carousing and, and shacking up with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Now's the time to come out to be holy and to embrace Jesus with the same tenacity that the woman with the issue of blood had, to hold on to the hem of his garment. If you want that today, I wanna give you that opportunity. If you want Jesus to be your savior and Lord, raise your hand. If you wanna repent and come back from a backslidden state and, and just say, I want, I want a clean slate and a fresh start, just raise your hand. How many people would do that today? God bless you, God bless you. Praise God, God bless you. Let's just pray a prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner and I know you died to save me. So I receive you as my savior. 
I receive you as my Lord. From this moment forward, I belong to you. I repent of my sins. Forgive me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give him a hand clap of praise this morning.